Well, if it's so rotten, why do you want to go back? Because it's not too late to change it. <laughs> what do you want, Lowell? I mean, there's hardly any more disease. There's no more poverty. Nobody's out of a job. That's right. Every time we have the argument, you say the same thing to me. You give me the same three answers all the time. The same thing. Well, everybody has a job. That's always the last one. But you know what else there is no more of, my friend? There is no more beauty. And there's no more imagination. And there are no frontiers left to conquer. And you know why? Only one reason why. One reason why the same attitude that you three guys are giving me right here in this room today. And that is nobody cares. Hello, listening people. Ooh, silence yourself, man. Hello, everyone. Hello, Bartek. Silent running to you as well. I'm running very silent right now. You're not running, you're Ryan. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I almost forgot my name, but but I but you've, you've written it down you've got in a, audio form. You've got to put your name on things, Ryan, like how the table here has a desky written on it. It does say where I bought it from. My desk does say that. I and know. your shirt says stuff too. It says Hilfiger. Did you know Bartek's mother buys him many clothes, and most of them are from Hilfiger of the Tommy variety? No, not Tommy Pickles, but Tommy Hilfiger. No, not Hilfinger. And we are Spit and Polish Presents. No, not Polish as in I'm I'm polishing your shoes, but Polish as in Polish. We are, in fact, both spitting young gentlemen who both are Polish by nature, by design, uh, that is how we were made to be, and we like to talk about movies on this podcast as well as any interesting Polish facts that have come across our desk. And Bartek, do you have any interesting Polish trivia or knowledge or information to bestow upon all of us? I don't, but you mentioned a bunch of things there, and I started wondering, huh, I wonder if there's a Polish dub of Rugrats. <laughs> I want to hit Polish Tommy Pickles. Could you give us a little sample of what that could sound like? Uh, what's a Tommy line? I don't know. Uh, a baby's got to do what a baby's got to do. Sure, that's it. Um, don't know if I can say that in Polish. Damn, he's, he's <laughs> teasing us. Yes, I'm Jesus, I'm a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that that's a line in Polish. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think... But to get it right, it think... has to be a monotone man narrating over the entire Oh, it's got to be a lector, so you've got to have the real Tommy Pickles in the background. <laughs> But then lower. This is when it's the Rugrats movie, which we are able to do on this podcast. It's a movie, after all. Yes, it is. Never seen it, actually. Oh, that's when they introduced uh, his little brother, who became a big character in the in the franchise. No, he just came out of nowhere, and no one acknowledged it. Okay, okay. And we are here to talk about a movie that has come recommended on our show, known as Pictures Powwow, where we powwow about pictures. And it is my turn. It is a cycle of recommendation, and it has fallen onto me recommending a film for us to all watch, and then for us on the podcast to discuss. And I chose a film from the 1970s called Silent Running, a science fiction film starring Bruce Dern. Yes, Bruce Dern, the legendary actor and father of a legendary performer, Laura Dern, who's been in many things. I like the trivia about her. Laura Dern, we have covered, like, we've had her in one or two projects over the years, mainly Twin Peaks, The Return. We talked about that, where she's Diane and... Mm. Uh, she was not in the 
She was not in Maholland Drive, I don't think. Um, no. Have we had her in anything else? I swear she's been in something else. Well, I will investigate this slowly but surely. How would you describe silent running to the listening people out there? They're banging on the door saying, please, please, I want to know what this movie is all about. What would you say to them? Sure. Um, if I would have to compare this to one movie, an easy one that comes to mind would be Moon, which we've covered before in that it largely covers a, a person who is on uh, who's isolated alone out in space on you know either a spaceship or a facility of some sort um working through a job that they've been given um this one starts off with a group of four people who are uh looking after for 8 years straight now um, the last remaining forests that have been put into these special spaceship domes mm. um, in hopes that in the future these will be preserved and will be able to be reintegrated back onto Earth, which uh, we never see Earth in the film, but we learn that, you know, it's become a bit more... Uh, Industrial. Industrialised. Um, nature is gone. It nature is all is, synthetic. Yeah, nature is gone. It's not quite clear, you know, how much of a shit show it is down there. Because some people seem to be kind of cool with the you know, temperature how it is. is always seventy five. Yeah, I converted that to Celsius. It's like early twenties. Yeah, oh. it's always everything's mild and average. There is no beauty in the world. It is a consumerist dream in which one of the most powerful forces in the galaxy is American Airlines. Yep. And and the main character of these four, this guy named Lowell, you really get the impression based on his interactions with. Uh, you know, the other three that he is in the minority in this day and age of like, you're actually really caring about forests and nature. Um, and uh, one of the developments that happens very early on is that they, uh, whichever organization that they work for decides to just scrap the whole project and say, hey, everyone, blow up all your things, come on home. And uh, he does, he's very distraught by that. And that's where we launch off. Everyone, make sure to give Silent Running a view for yourself because we are now going to talk about it with more depth, more details, and that does mean going through spoilers. And I grew up with this movie. I've seen this movie many times. This was one of the ones in the rotating catalogue of sci-fi entertainment. And you already said it. This is an influential film in many ways. There's films and games and stories that have definitely been inspired by or taken a uh, a leaf out of this uh, this playbook of the environmentalist sci-fi film. This is obviously not the first, but it has such a specific angle to it and premise uh, that films like Moon would definitely not exist without Silent Running being there. And I've always recognized its importance, and I've always liked it. I, I like its stripped-down nature. I like its easygoing... Uh, feel to it and it's also a deeply emotional film it's all relying on the performance of one man basically mm. but also there are robotic life forms there are drones in this movie who are just as expressive just as emotive as the human we're spending time with and as a small child i loved those drones they were my favorite thing i love their design i love how they move around i mm. feel for them and silent running has always just uh left a big hole in my heart it's just it's just such a such an impactful movie it doesn't have 
a happy-go-lucky ending to it. In fact, there's an air of sadness and doom and gloom and tragedy throughout the entire thing, and our main character does some morally reprehensible and questionable things, and he's not let off the hook by the film, nor by his own us uh by his own uh morality conscience, yeah. conscience he he still feels bad and i I've, I've always just dug the movie uh but like what about you silent running any familiarity with this anything about this movie have you seen it before heard about it before basically nothing i i didn't even look up synopsis or genre or anything like that i, I vaguely remember that you said last episode that it might be a bit sci-fi and you're following up Lucy with something also sci-fi, but even that wasn't really in my mind. So, you know, when the film began with all these shots of nature and then, you know, a few minutes later you get the establishing shot of like, oh, it's in space. It's like, oh, okay, so it's going to be something a bit more like this. Um, yeah, basically nothing. Uh, there would probably just be, you know, minor things here and there that I would see as obvious inspiration for things. Like when I read in the trivia that the droids or the drones were – you know, uh, sort of an inspiration for George Lucas making that gonk droid thing. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was thinking that while watching it. Um, and, yeah, the comparison to Moon that I made before. Other than that, yeah, I walked in very blind. I want to at least say about this is something that I referenced at the end of the last episode that you may have forgotten, but I'll say it again, mm -hmm. is that the director of this was the special effects artist for... 2001 a space odyssey and yep. he said about his uh, experiences working on that film working for kubrick that he found it very cold that the movie itself was lacking a certain warmth and humanity and he wanted to make a science fiction film he wanted to be a part of a science fiction film that is deeply human that is very emotional and I said at the end of last episode, like, that's something to keep in mind that this is a very human sci-fi story. Uh, when we talked about, um, for instance, Ghost in the Shell, we we discussed, um, you know, what was it, um, transhumanism? Mm -hmm. This is a very humanist film. Like, this goes down to we're digging our, our fingers into the dirt, into the soil, and we're lamenting the fact that although we've gone to the stars, to be able to achieve that, we've had to burn all of the foundations of what made us living beings. And I I just really wanted to bring that up because when we did Lucy last episode, it's like this grand sci-fi thing and it's all about dealing with action set pieces and hinting at going over the existential themes of what it is to be alive and what it is to have consciousness. And yet here's Silent Running in which it's a movie about a hippie who goes over the edge. It's basically a hippie version of falling down where it's like one guy snaps and he says no more, but it deeply explores the human condition, explores environmentalism. It says, what are the bad things we would take with us into outer space as well as what are the potential good things that we can do as well? Our legacy. What is the legacy that we will uh, leave for future generations? I I'm always been smitten with this, but I am curious to know, what did you think of Silent Running? I enjoyed it. It was a really good movie. Um, I did like that early on, obviously, I was setting expectations and thinking about where the film was going to go, and it did surprise me in a lot of ways, because early on, it really felt like, oh, this guy's going to you know, go crazy and 
you know, become the villain essentially, but no, they actually took a very honest route in making him the, 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 he's the protagonist and he is very conflicted about a lot of things like that scene where he's basically giving a eulogy to the other three guys who he killed straight up. Um, it, it really said it all right there where he, he he said that like you they weren't exactly my friends but I did like them and thinking back to their interactions earlier I could see that that was exactly true there were so many points where he yeah could have snapped at them and been really angry and rude but he always kept it level and even when he did snap he 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 recognized that he went too far which is something that they often did not recognize about themselves mm. and he was giving eulogy specifically to the one he killed with his own hands. Yeah. Who, the one who was nice to him. Yeah. And it, it, it's really interesting because the the start of the film, you know, he's working and they're driving in the cars, they're having a lot of fun. You get a lot of like first person shots of them driving. Um, they don't care about the nature. Um, and you get the idea of like, oh, he's the, he's the nerd and they're the jocks and, you know, they're going to be all over him throughout the film. But then you have the scene where they go to the recreation room to that like circular pool table and it's like, oh yeah, this game's fun. And Lowell kicks our asses at this all the time. <laughs> and then they play the poker game and he gets them with a full house and they're all like, yeah, you've, you got us. What I love about the poker scene, just to point to that is... I forgot that he's genuinely very good at it, that he beats him all the time, because he's so overt with how good his hand is mm. that I thought it was going to be a case of, oh, he's Bluffing, socially yeah. inept. Oh, right. And they are going to be able to read his hand and, you know, they're going to have fun at him. But no, he's genuinely just that good that he could just kick their ass every time <laughs> and they still have to take it. They're like, damn it, this fucking hippie can beat us. This guy who clearly shows on his face that he's winning and we can't do anything about it damn it yeah and then you have the scene of them you know eating the the dinner but like organic versus the, the synthetic synthetic that they're eating um and he's the most eloquent of them and then when they finally go to torch the thing and one of them trips over and like it's interesting like, ah, Lowell will sort you out and mm -hmm. like the guy when he goes to Lowell he's like a like little child he's like fix this for me please like all right let's go let's and he's bitter it. about it too because he doesn't like that that was the most antagonistic one to yeah. him he's the one that argues the most of like I don't give a fuck about your points I'm a company man I don't care I'm just here for money and then I'm leaving and there's just such an interesting point of view to this film when you think about its position in the sci-fi canon of things and just some of the unique novelties like you said like whatever corporation no no it's not whatever corporation it's american airlines they make a big deal that it's american airlines the big aa on their thing is american airlines when they zoom out they have the glorious zoom out of Bruce Stern when he opens up the window to reveal like he's in outer space or whatever, hmm. it zooms out. It's American Airlines stamped right above. Right, and, I, I forgot that. <laughs> and and it's just so amusing because you think of uh, certain things like I'm just going to say it like Ridley Scott must be a fan of of the of this movie because I kept thinking about aliens during it. Of like you have this you know, rough and tumble lived in crew where they're just basically space truckers in this. You know what I mean? Like they're just mm. schmoes who are just here for a buck. They're not noble Star Trek characters. They're just average guys who 
all right, we're just going to put the nukes in the ground and oh no, a, a wacky sci-fi premise is coming at us. And also I thought of Blade Runner with that kind of, uh, you know, there's the corporate agenda hanging over the tale of what it is to be a human being. And in that film, there's the joy of Pan Am is still a big deal in the future that is one of the most uh, in like engaging uh, corporate businesses of that millennium is like in real life it's funny because they didn't even make it that far it's like coca-cola and pan am and then in this movie it's like it's american airlines is one of the most powerful businesses in the in the solar system it's just like okay Hmm. sure i guess why not because that's the idea of like why not why is it ludicrous to think that some of these businesses won't sustain themselves into the far reaches of outer space Mm. and in a way in this film in particular it's bleak. Like, it's bleak the idea that American Airlines or people like them can dictate if we as a as a species are, are warranted trees. Like, isn't that fucked? Mm, yeah, I see that now. Like, American Airlines decides if your children are allowed to ever hold a leaf in their hand. And they say, nah, for no reason. <laughs> There's no reason ever given in the yeah, movie. Yeah, we never get the explanation. They just got the order. They gotta follow it out. Uh, so uh, let's go over the film a bit more. Walk us through your journey with it a bit more, and uh, some of the some of the highlights for you. Uh, well, yeah, like I said, the uh, expectation of like, oh, this guy's gonna go crazy, become the villain, it's gonna be like, you know, maybe like accident or kind of thing. Like when the guy got injured. Uh, and he came back into the the facility. Like you have these shots of like him alone in the hallway, and it's like, oh, is this when the turn's gonna happen? And you have all these moments where he's alone with Lowell, and it's like, when's it gonna happen? But no, it doesn't happen at any point there. It happens later when Lowell's forest is the last one that they're gonna deal with, uh, or one of the last ones. And yeah, he he has the fight with the nice one, the guy that was wearing the red, mm-hmm. uh, or the nicest one. Um, and yeah, he doesn't. He isn't portrayed as being, you know, supernatural villain, super powerful. We'll take this guy down. He, it's a very human fight where it's clumsy. It's awkward. clumsy. He, he gets, gets injured. He gets injured, and that's going to be a focus for like the next fifteen minutes of the film as he's slowly lumbering around. Um, the guy dies in a very undramatic fashion to the point where I thought, like, oh, he he knocked him out until yeah. the confirmation, like, oh no, this guy's actually dead. Uh, you know, 25% of our cast is now out of the film and it's like 15 minutes in. Um, the other two get killed off, you know. With no ceremony, no grace. No just ceremony. Bam, they're gone. Yeah, the last you see of them is them realizing, hey, what's wrong? And then like trying to run back into the facility and then you get a establishing shot of boom. And there you go, 75% of the cast is gone. Now it's just Lowell and the the three drones. Yep, and then one of them dies, and it's upsetting. It's as uh, it's weirdly as upsetting as watching the nice guy get killed, mm. like the the nicer one of the crew get killed off. I uh, I really liked the dynamics at play with the crew at the beginning, where 
they're just so sick of this guy. They're just like, oh, God. And you have the one who wears the red. Uh, I can't remember his name. I think it was John or something like that. They, they names... had three names of like Barker, Wolf, and something. Yeah, but... Uh, and he... one of them, I don't think, got that much. There was like the red one, the gray one, and one wearing like black. Yeah. I don't remember too much about the black one. But uh, their dynamic at play of you have, yes, you have the one who's nicer to him, the one who's willing to cut him slack and they actually point out maybe we shouldn't put push him you know maybe we should leave him alone and let him do what he wants to do he's not harming us he's not actually doing anything to us you have the antagonistic one who's just like fuck him his food stinks he's always bitching he never pulls his weight he's always judging us and then you have the other one that you're talking about who's kind of more of the wishy-washy one where he he can barely have an opinion on anything Mm. which in a way (laughs) frustrates our main character the most because it's like at least with the antagonistic one it's like okay I know your opinion and it's stupid. And the nicer one is like, oh, I've heard this argument so many times over, but at least I can respect the argument. But then the other guy, it's like, what do you what do you bring to the table other than just being a prick? It's sounding a bit like id ego, super ego. <laughs> right. And uh uh we 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 have them arguing back and forth and and there was that amazing scene where Bruce Dern is like getting really emotional and teary-eyed and crying and just so passionate about why he needs to save the forest, like why this is important, why living in this society in which everything's perfect, like they live in the Star Trek utopia world where it's like we've got peace, there's no more poverty, there's no more bigotry, the, yeah, we've lost the environmental way of life, but we've We've fixed that too with our technology, so it's fine. We've made up for it. We've made up for it. We've adapted. It's fine. We, we're we complacent with how things are. And just Bruce Dern's acting in that scene of just sheer terror and sorrow, and he's getting so emotional at the fact that generations beyond him will never understand the simple joys of what it is to be alive in a, in a on the planet. And... Also, just that this person here is probably the one that can understand where he's coming from the most, but he will never understand it. Mm. That this crew is a representation of Earth and that he is the outsider, that he is the only one who thinks like this. One in four is the minority, and you can see that as a potential microcosm of, you know, life back on Earth. For a film that's really held up together by one performance, as you said, like 75% of the cast get killed within 20 minutes. Mm. What did you think of uh, the lead performance and I guess also the the lead character too? Well, like I said, because I had the expectation of this being our villain, like the fact that he isn't portrayed as the villain, he is the protagonist, he does have the scene of remorse, he... uh, personifies the drones as he's clearly, you know, seeking a companionship. Um, he is becoming less efficient in his his dream, his work of keeping up with the forests where, you know, he doesn't pick up the fact that, like, sunlight is the thing until way late in the film. Mm. Um, you have scenes later on where he's trying to, like, replicate things from the beginning of the film, like he's driving around in the car. Um, he's playing poker again with the drones. Yeah. Um, he was playing pool. He was playing pool too. Um, yeah, he, he he and his interactions with um, uh, 
Berkshire, the 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 people contacting him. Yeah. Um, Anderson. Anderson, yeah, and someone else. Um, he, he even even when he was first contacting them, there was this idea in my head of like, okay, is he uh, you know, going to try to trick these guys, or is he just trying to lay low, kind of thing? Um, and it really is a thing where, yeah, he's just trying to take it one step at a time. Uh, he's when he decided to, you know, kill off the the red guy um, mm. from Cow and Chicken. He, um, <laughs> it was a it was a a split second decision. You know, yes. he's got, got the shovel up. He's like, "You're not getting into this forest." He wants him to turn back. The other guy's like, "Dude, I got a job to do. I've got to I've got to do this." You know, there was no logical end in sight there where he would come out on top and save the forest there, but he just felt that this was something he had to do and it ended up being a thing that ultimately in the end, you know, didn't achieve his goals, um, but he just felt so strongly about it that he had to do something and that kind of what we're what the ride that we're in for for the rest of the film. Like, this guy is trying to take it one step at a time, try to solve his issue and... You know, he in a, most ways the film ends bittersweetly, but he does fail. Um, and we, because this is a one actor performance basically for the whole film, uh, it, it holds up only if he can really nail that that emotional uh, you know performance. And I think he did. It's a it's a balancing act of Bruce Dern being able to play not only the cynicism and the optimism of the character, but also of the film itself. The film is very much juggling both of those things in the air, that there's this cynical streak, or I should say this pessimistic streak, of the society, of of the movie, but also of us in the real world, but also of the character himself when he found out that they were actually still looking for him. He didn't even think that was a possibility because he assumed so, so poor, like the most poor choices possible would have been given that they would have just abandoned him. But mm. they didn't abandon him because he's one of their boys. God bless you. Like there's that. And then there's the optimism of he is an optimistic character. He is one who believes that no, they won't do the layoffs. It will be fine. You could say he's delusional, and the film definitely yeah, does. He, he said that he could feel like, oh, there's going to be a big message coming in. This might be the good one. And Bruce Dern, I think, captures all of that so wonderfully throughout the course of the film in which you can see that the character is both genuinely hopeful, but also he's not naive and that he has a, a almost like a depressive streak within the character too. And I think that makes him inherently relatable because the film as well as the performance is acknowledging the shortcomings of the character. He isn't just this straw man, uh, noble Mary Sue type, hippy-dippy, we've got to be like this character, he gets it. In fact, the film would argue that you shouldn't be like this character at many times, and I appreciate that level of acknowledgement with a character that does heinous things to achieve seemingly noble goals. Would we call him an anti-hero? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think... You could definitely argue that definitely a tragic hero is what I would land on because he's inherently a tragic figure. He does not get to win. Uh, he does not get to live to see if he wins. And I, I thought that moment of him 
sitting there with Huey and Lou, <laughs> Huey and Dewey um, when one of them got injured, when he ran his car into one of them, and how he reacted about that and just how he was treating it like they were real people and like he was trying to do his best and he's like, I'm sorry, this is all I can do. This I'm doing my best. Really gave a level of empathy for us, the audience, because in a weird way, we feel so much for these mechanical beings, even though they don't speak. They're just they're the only other they're the only other I was gonna say people, but they're the only other things in the movie that he's interacting with. And so mm. him along with us puts so much of humanity and personhood onto them. So when he hits one of them with a car, you're like, oh no. <laughs> I mean, it really does help that they have these weird organic movements. They're not just like completely still when they're standing still, you know. They're... Oh, they go out of their way with the drones. Uh, we'll talk about the drones in just a moment. What were some other things about this movie that that gravitated to you, or or were effective for you? Maybe even on a on a, on a sci-fi level, because it has been discussed on the pod that you are not the biggest aficionado of the of the sci-fi variety. But this has, you know, been something that's been relevant in other uh, movies we've discussed on the pod yep um not on a sci-fi level but i i mentioned before how uh you know he was repeating things from earlier in the film i did like the angle of how when he did the driving thing that he was copying what the other guys were doing so it was like a you know another sort of effective way of showing his mental state deteriorating where he's doing like the sort of reckless thing that they were doing but then he goes like a step beyond where he like crashes into one of the uh, crates, like, crates containers. containers in the thing and like spills it all. Yes, there's um, soil in there. Yeah, it really felt like, oh man, you've really, you're, you're falling. So that was a wonderful detail that he was trying to replicate them. He, he was even just doing their behavior. Oh, I've been eating the food. Mm. How could I? Yeah, like, yeah, I know. Even, I've been doing yeah, it. Yeah, there's an acknowledgement he knows, but also he doesn't. Yeah, and then he throws it away. Let's go to the forest, and you get the indication he hasn't been there for a while. Mm. He did all of this for the forest, but then he he let it get neglected in a way, you know, symbolizing what we do in the real world. Like we love nature, but also mm, <laughs> you know. Let it wither away hmm. for our own simple pleasures well, to do other things. I've got this water bottle, but there's no recycle bin around. Exactly. Or I'll rather go play a game of poker with some drones than dare go into the forest and water it. So oh, it's it's an allegory for going to the casino and doing the video poker. Ah, the drones now. He even got defeated by a full house. Well, well yes, yes. I was going to say, now the drones... They're, I think, honestly, the thing that the film is remembered for on, like, it's just a visual level of, like, the ship is good. I love the design of the domes and, like, this mm. big rig ship that's flying and they give some glory shots to it and some cool visuals. But, man, it's those drones. They're just such a such a specific look. They, they're so damn cute mm. with out trying i don't know i maybe because i grew up with it and i saw them as a kid and i just thought they were so damn cool i maybe have some uh rose-tinted glasses on about them but ryan, i thought I'm, they were so sweet ryan i'm almost 30 and a half i've never heard of this film i only saw it for the first time last night they are cute <laughs> they are very cute uh do you have any comments to make about <laughs> the drones i've been talking a bit on and off about them but what did you think about these guys 
I I mean, just consolidating everything I've already said. Yeah, they they are cute. They are memorable. Um, the fact that they look a bit more plasticky than mm-hmm. uh, metal really kind of lends them this, you know, simple charm. Um, the fact that we we do get little bits of like non robotic behavior, like when they are playing poker and they're like communicating with like hisses and stuff like that. And he is, knows they're talking to each other. Yeah, it, it's funny. Um, the and even for things that they might not be doing, where he's projecting on them, like you know. Uh, ident- like identifying like oh it's looking at me when I'm eating this synthetic food it's it's it judging me about like oh so you're doing it now we even have a solo shot of one of them looking at the dead body of the person he just killed and like we look at it as oh it's sad that this guy's dead yeah and you you also get a little thing of uh, you know, you don't get the explanation of like exactly why it's happening, but like they don't follow orders at the time. Like when the one got hit, it was because it, it was walking back. It was some. It was somewhere where it was not meant to be, and that's why he drove into it. Mm-hmm. There was the one that got killed because it didn't follow the other two. Yeah, so you've got this double thing going on where you know you're you as a viewer are identifying things about it, and you're also uh, you've also got our main character Lowell who is identifying things about them, like what they're doing. Uh, which leads it to yeah this final product here of uh, a lifelike robot. Yeah, because uh, a cool thing is they never ever discuss that. It just is shown. Mm. It's just shown to you that these drones are not just automatons. That they do have a level of of of, of sentience to them or personality. There's little quirks that they do. There's obviously the big things like we mentioned, like how one of them doesn't follow orders and it gets some kills. Like, why did that happen? That's weird. Or the one that was coming back, even though he was ordered to stay there. And that's interesting. Or the, the that they're talking. They literally have a robot language that they talk to with one another. We even get scenes of when they're outside on the ship, you can tell they're having little private meetings with one another where they walk up <laughs> to each other and they lean their, their, their I was going to say heads their fronts forward and you can tell that they're exchanging some kind of dialogue mm. but I really love that the film never even references it it's just it is a part of it and so when it ends with the you know the protector of nature at the end is, is a creation of man I think that is such a such a you know like profound thing to end on like again it's about legacy and in many robot stories or android stories there's that there's that old narrative thing of like you know we played god and what do what does that bring usually a robot uprising or what is our um duty in creating a new form of life when that new form of life may know for a fact or we know for a fact it was created for only a specific purpose while us as humans we don't know why we were created or what created us or how it is or what's the purpose of it all. And so there's many different beliefs. There's many different understandings. People have many different things. But for a robot, you know, using these stories, but in this, it's like, nah, man, we've created this robot to basically fulfill the life goals of a man who was unable to do it because he was stopped by the greed of humanity. And I love the little details of they have their little feet and when they're impatient they're tapping their foot 
<laughs> or one of them will like tap the other one with a foot, like, hey, hey, he's coming. Just just stuff like that was oh, really there was, great. Yeah. There was a moment like that, yeah, where it's like alerted. Yeah. <laughs> they alerted each other. Or when he said, you can take a step forward if you want, and one of them didn't because it didn't want to. And then he <laughs> said it again, like, and then it got it, like, oh, I'll come over. And of course, during the poker scene, he said, don't talk to each other. But then they quietly just showed each other's hands to each one another <laughs> while Law wasn't looking and it just gave each other the little nod. Love them so damn much. It's, it was so fun. Cool. Yeah. They were great. You could do this movie without adding all of that like no. fun to them, but that's the thing. This movie was created in part because it was from a person who worked on a previous project that was very, very stripped back. I mean one of the great things about 2001 A Space Odyssey is Howl, because he's the most human character in the movie. He's the most human character, and he's a fucking robot. In in 2001, you feel bad for Howl at points, as well as you want him destroyed, but like he he's, has stakes. I think I think part of it is that he's not quite a robot. He's just a thing on the wall in yeah. many rooms. <laughs> he's just a big eye, and but he has he has ambitions. He has stakes. He has he has something that he's striving for. And I like that in in this you just have they just serve a function. It's like you do the thing that I need you to do. But the direction really l- made it that no no. What happens if they have little quirks like this one's tapping its foot impatiently while it's mm. waiting and it, it, they indicate to one another and just their little clampy hands like when they're ready to play poker like they're just clamping their hands like give me the card give me the cards just <laughs> love these fucking drones they're so cool I want one. Did you look up? how they did the drones were you at all curious of like uh, what the I, I, functions or how they work i did read the imdb trivia and i didn't get all the information but i know that they had amputee actors in mm-hmm. them yes i always assumed that they were little people because yeah. often you like, get little like, people like r2d2 like r2d2 for instance yes like little people but no they're amputees they even have them as introducing credits when the movie is I, over. Yeah, that's kind of what got me curious. Uh, yeah, the amputees. And I saw pictures. And so from what I can gather is there would be people missing their legs. Mm-hmm. And then they're just sitting. And then the, the, the drone's legs are just the actor's arms. And they're just walking on their arms. That's oh, why they have right. that movement. And that's why many times... They're so forward heavy because if you're doing just walking on your arms, you would probably lean forward a bit. And God bless them because that must have been fucking demanding physically. Like not only just the 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 pressure of walking potentially on just your arms, but you are lacking depth perception. You're in this big mm. clunky fiberglass plastic yeah, when I was, coffin, basically. When I was saying earlier that they had very organic movements, it really it, to be more specific, it did look like they were trying to balance themselves because they were quite top heavy. I love it though. Especially, I think drone number two yeah. was the biggest Huey. one. Huey, Huey, yeah, he has a that one has a very specific design where design where it's it's more tall and thin, and its legs are like very much clamped down. So yeah. that means that the actor would have had less. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was amputee Ryan. Yeah, he's very tall. There's some great online uh, pictures online of the actors in the drones. There's one of them where they have the face shield open and he's got a straw in a uh, can of Coke drinking mm. it. So it's like getting refreshments. <laughs> so that's cute. Oh, it's, it's like whenever you see those anime where people are inside like the mascot costumes, mm. and they're really sweaty. But the film uh, does not have a, a happy ending. It does not go well for 
for our lead. He tries his best. Well, he tries. He tries. I wouldn't say, like, he wasn't, like, that. you said it for, like, it's not like his uh, supremely efficient character where he's like, okay, I've decided that I'm doing this and I'm going to do all of these things to make sure. No, he's one day at a time. He's, he's lethargic, even. And hmm. he, he, there's things that he realizes, oh, I did this lie, and that means that I have to do this lie, and that means when this gets found out, I can't explain it. Like, hey, where's the explosion on the side of the ship? Oh, it's on the other side where you can't see it. And you hear, oh, that doesn't make sense, but all right, well, we'll dock with you soon. Well, I better, better end this then, because I can't get out of this. Mm-hmm. I can save the forest, at least. But uh, how did you feel about how this all panned out overall in the end, and how? And what, what does it what does it say by ending in such a way for you? Again, it is a bittersweet ending because even though our main character does die, um, he leaves behind. Uh, it, was it Dewey? Yes, he, he kept Huey because Huey was injured. Huey was injured. I, I like that touch too, where he Huey w- wasn't dead. He was just unable to function further so it's like you did have one of the drones die and you had another one basically become disabled which another mm. is another humanizing thing um yeah the, the 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 hopefulness of the fact that you know the forest is still going to be looked after which was his ultimate aim uh is at least you know continuing it hasn't failed yet it, and it potentially could still pan out is the element of hope from it which I do focus on more than his downfall, but yeah, the 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 death scene of like you know you get you get a repeat of that establishing sh- eh, establishing shot from earlier that I liked, where it was like zooming out from his little cabin, mm. and you see the, like oh it's in space, and then once 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 it's really far, you see you know the same size explosion that you saw when the other domes were being blown up, and it's just like and now he's gone, you know it's yeah. it's a very simple and blunt thing like that. Just like with the trees, now they're gone, mm. you know? And he was trying to prevent that fleeting existence and yeah. leave something more long-term, and this is his way of doing that, yeah. in which, hell, the, this 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 uh, this dome is probably just going to keep floating off into space, who knows where, for who knows how long, who knows how long those lights will last, but it's it's something. It's his way of giving back when he took away so much leading up to this. I was about to undermine our, you know, talking seriously by making up a dumb plot about, like, aliens finding it, but then I remember the trivia. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. We can talk about some of the little trivia facts because this movie was different in its development. Yeah. Uh, But I like the ending very much. Um, it, it, It needed, in my eyes, to have him meet a grisly end because he did do heinous things to get to where he was. And from just like a a stance of a film's like moral uh, judgments and whatever, like usually in a film, especially of this era, it it has to really put its mark in the sand, like draw the line in the sand of how it feels about people being like this because basically you could argue he's an environmental terrorist at the end of the day a a character like this living on i would see like in another story they would be like oh you know he's the member of the community who did this brave mission and then the main character gets to know them and he discovers his tragic past but yeah yeah. for a protagonist yeah you you fall uh but 
the the drone lives and is looking after the 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 forest and we get the lights are on and we zoom out and it's just this you know forest in the dark but there's these little twinkles of lights in there and it looks mm. like stars when you keep zooming out of just stars within this dome which i think was uh done very well visually and i just want to say this is a a director who we only did a couple of films, and only this was his two films, right? first. Yeah. And he basically was learning while on the job. This is from a successful era where things like Easy Rider and so on and so forth prove that you can have smaller budget films, basically indie films, be as viable as your big blockbusters. Yeah, wasn't, wasn't there a trivia point saying that the production company wanted to? You know, just on a just on a you know whim, like oh, let's let's see what we can do with like five, let's say five semi-independent films, and this mm-hmm. is like the first one or something. Yes, I do believe that is the case, and many people got their starts on on this. There were people who worked on on the miniatures and the effects and all of that who would go on to be legends in the field themselves. And obviously, we already had people like Bruce Dern, who was a name already. But uh, you know, this is definitely something that. Although it's a smaller budget film, although it's more of an indie film, heck, it's a film that wears its heart on its fucking sleeve, which many people can slam nowadays. And it's not the most technically proficient film. You can definitely see the shortcomings of the budget and it being of its time period and it being a film made by a first-time director. But this is a real case, and we would always talk about this on unappreciated masterpieces, but it's a film that has clear ideas, themes, and ideals that it's striving toward. And even if it is hampered by some production stuff to get there, I don't think it is compromised in getting to those things at all. Like, this is a film in which it achieves exactly what it was setting out to do. And I just can't help but commend it. In fact, I can't help but get emotional about just how damn honest this is. This feels like this is you've you've you know someone has opened themselves up to you, and you're just having to you know take that on board and carry it with you. No, I think I think you nailed it there by saying that this achieved what it was setting out to do. Like you said, you know, I I, I will not think back on this film as like, oh yeah, that was a compromised film. No, exactly. <laughs> I think it was nailed, even though. You know, the original idea was completely different. Like, it was like an old curmudgeon man who, specifically the thing that he wanted to continue was, like, the job rather than, you know, the environment. Definitely Bruce Dern nowadays could have played the version of the character they originally wanted because he plays old curmudgeon men who are driven by... Mm glories of yesteryear. Well, he can, he can be in the remake of this film where there's a whole 30-minute uh, side plot about like the specific specs behind the drones that explains every little thing about them. It is amazing that you'd never need to remake Silent Running. You'd never need to remake it. it. It stands on its own, and even if it is dated, it has left such an impression on the sci-fi landscape that if you do remake it, it would feel, in a way kind of old hat it's kind of like how when the matrix came out for instance it was taking from a lot of sources right Mm. and then when people would go back to some of those sources it felt like in a way they were dated because it's like well i've seen this be you know launched off in a million ways 
in the current film industry. You know what I'm talking about? Like we've we've even maybe encountered a film or two like that on the pod where it's like, this was influential for its time, but because of that. Well, I wasn't, yeah, it, we didn't do it on the pod and we did have some funny semi-arguments about, you know, what your point resulted from. But when that, uh, the Murder on the Orient Express film came out and you were like, oh, but everyone kind of is very familiar with this. It feels kind of weird to just go back to such an, you know, original a thing that inspired so many murder mystery kind of plots. Yeah, yeah. And has the most infamous, not infamous, most just famous reveal. Mm. I won't say it because Bartek didn't know it at the time, but... Yeah, that's what I meant. It's one where it's like, literally, it's like, oh, yeah, when that happens in other murder mysteries, it's like, oh, yeah, the murder on the Orient Express reveal. Like, it's one of those. But, yeah, Silent Running originally had a lot of different stuff going in towards it when they were but going in, but then they just molded it into what it is. Bruce Dern came in and they said, okay, that really shakes things up a bit. There's some great behind-the-scenes stories if people want to go out there. Bartek, uh, Laura Dern Mm. saw this film when she was a small child. I think it said five years old. Mm -hmm. She didn't see the whole thing because they had to leave it after a certain point. (laughs) And why was that? Uh, (laughs) So they got up to the scene where her father, for some reason, ran into (laughs) Huey um, and she in the audience uh, turned to him and said, Daddy, why would you do that? And then in the scene where he was getting like repaired, she just started crying and crying and crying and they had to leave the cinema. Have you ever had any kind of, uh, when you were a young child, did you have any film in particular or show or something like that that overwhelmed you that emotionally or made you cry or get like, you know, worked up in a way like that? I've talked about it before. It was the first film that made me cry and not many have even at this point, but Wilson in Castaway. Yeah. That's a great pull up. You know, I'm a sucker. I'm going to say it. Everyone knows. It's the truth though. All right. Damn, Jumanji really got me as a kid. Jumanji would just have certain emotional beats in it that were very mature. Even for now, when I watch Jumanji, I'm like, this is a really adult thing to put into your movie that get me a little, a little, a little choked up. And, you know, Planes, Trains and Automobiles is another one that as a kid, you know, I was like, oh man, John Candy, I wish he was my friend. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I was just curious because yeah, Laura Dern, uh, she has been in a movie that we've done on the podcast before. Yeah. It was called The Last Jedi. She oh, yeah. was General Hodo, purple-haired lady, who right. had a really annoying plan that was stupid and didn't make a lot of sense <laughs> and was annoying. And the but film liked her. The film loved her very yeah. much. <laughs> she, she, yeah. But uh, Laura Dern's a great actress and, uh, so, and her father is a great actor. I... Uh, yeah, he's he's one to you would definitely like him if you saw more of his stuff. He was in Nebraska, which is a well received movie, very enjoyable film. Black and white. He's a crotchety old man. Oh, black and white, no thanks. No, 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 no thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I love Twin Peaks: The Return, but when it went black and white, mm. yeah, no. But that Ed is Wood. I don't know why I recommend our it. discussion on Silent Running. Anything else? On it, any other points or? Despite it, everything I've said, I would recommend the film. I also would recommend Silent Running. It's a good time. Uh, I, I was saying to uh, a family member before, oh, we're doing Silent Running, and they said, oh, I haven't watched that in ages, but it's a great film. And I'm just like, yeah, I haven't watched it in ages either, and it's a it's a great movie. And it's such a shame that 
the director, you know, he had such an awful time in the industry when it came to being a director that, you know, he he turned away from it. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I think now he he passed away. Mm. And I remember being like, oh man, I want to do silent running on the podcasts, you know? And then he passed away and then I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to do it just because he passed away. And then eventually yeah, we both had that. We've both we've both had that with performers and talent over the years. I waited years to recommend Bilu. Uh, yeah, true. But uh, he obviously, I, I should mention it because people are like, you, you did Silent Running, you're not going to mention Brainstorm, his follow-up. Do you know much about Brainstorm and why this director quit the industry? I, I hadn't heard of it until I was reading the trivia for this. All I know is that while making it, he became less interested in directing of some sort. So, have you ever heard of Natalie Wood? I have heard the name. So Natalie Wood was an actress. What was she? And she infamously died in a mysterious set of circumstances in which she was on a boat. Oh, is this the thing? And she Jack drowned. Nicholson or something? Yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of Christopher Walken, I'm pretty sure, is there. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of conspiracies of if she was brutally murdered or not. And She was married Christoph- to someone, right? Yeah. R- Wagner. Number two, she was married Robert to- Robert Wagner. Robert Wagner, okay. I'm pretty sure. And Christopher Walken, because he was the lead in Brainstorm, and she was the co-lead, he was hovering around there, I'm pretty sure. And it's always been a case of, was she murdered or was she not? And just that made it so that the film could not be fully completed because the lead actress died, so they had to work around it. And it was just, he, I think he described, like, there was something off on that set. Like, when mm. that happened, it wasn't a surprise. And that kind of fueled the the, the conspiracy of right, Natalie Wood right. for all of these years as well. And he just quit because... It was just, no, that was, imagine that. You're making your second movie, you've got big actors, and one of them dies in one of the most mysterious circumstances in the industry at that time. Mm. It would make you a bit sheepish, especially if you were someone like him who was like, I'm not a big director, I'm just, I'm just getting started. Yeah, it would make me sheepish too. But uh, that's Silent Running for you. We've discussed it. I hope everyone, you've enjoyed uh oh, we talk. Didn't, we didn't say it. I like the music. Oh, yeah, the music is good, huh? Yeah. It's very 70s music. Uh, the lyrics are very, like, letting you know what it's about. But, I, I, you know, it's been ridiculed, the songs, but I like them. What can I say? I liked it. Hmm. Uh, but that is Silent Running. Now, it is the listening people's recommendation. And I, scour- you know, I scoured through. I, I picked apart the list. And I-, I watched you everyone, do it. Everyone, you should make sure to recommend a film to us. We are getting short on the list. So if you want to recommend a film, you can hit us up on our social medias or our email address. All of this is included in the description of the episode. So if you recommend a film, we put it in our list and we eventually get around to it. And it, we, we, we need to go back to our good old friends in uh, in uh, Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are going to be doing a movie that I actually talked about earlier in the year as one that I saw and I know is easily available to watch. It is... The tea one? Tomorrow I'll wake up and scold myself with tea. Right, right. We had like two or three people recommend that one, I yes, think. Yes, because we have covered some Czech movies in the past, mm-hmm. and we've been recommended several of them. And I just want to say, I think, you know, like... We didn't get recommended ten, but I, I'm just going to use nine out of ten of them, I swear, I already know exist, but it's a matter. And here's the thing. 
I would love to be able to watch and own all of these. It's just a matter of being able to find a a good copy and b one with subtitles that we can you yeah. know watch it in. But this is one that was available on YouTube earlier this year, and I uh, I want everyone to give it a watch tomorrow. I'll wake up and scold myself with with tea. This is our first uh, Czechoslovakian film we're doing on the podcast that I have not seen before, so I'm That's excited for that. True. Ooh, that is true. The only um, ones we've done so far are ones that we've watched together. Well, right. And uh, we talked about this film when we did the last Czech movie uh, because I had just freshly watched yeah, Einstein. Einstein. So everyone, make sure to check it out. Uh, uh, until then, look at our social medias, email us, and remember to be kind to one another and to each other or, or I'll choke you to death. I will choke you to death and get some drones to bury you, okay? In a seven feet long and three feet wide grave. I'm not going to specify to the drones how deep. Did you notice that? He said how long and wide, but he never specified how deep he, he wanted he, it. He, he, he trusted them. They, they showed so many human-like qualities. That they, they know about the they, six feet deep. They've heard, yeah, they've heard about Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under, the series, Six Feet Under. They're he, big he, fans he of the series with Michael C. Hall. Uh, deep enough for them to push up daisies. Oh, pushing up daisies, the other the other series, yes. I mean, they're both sayings. It's like when I, and they're both shows like that every, these robots <laughs> love. It's like that time where I kept saying double down. You're like, ooh, the film by what's Neil, his name? Breen. Neil Breen. No, Ryan, it's a saying. It's a, it's, it's a blackjack term. I am here. Now is also a Neil Breen movie. The, the poker scene in this was good, but was it Magic Kid too good? I don't even remember that. <laughs> How dare you think I remember Magic Kid 2 outside of Stephen First, the director slash actor in the th- First or second movie? I think it's the second one. His bedroom wall is a giant mirror. <laughs> With like some vaguely American coat of arms y thing or something like that. It's like the Oval Office, but on his wall. 